guests are back and the IQ of the room has gone up. Although the IQ in a room with Jeff and Francis would go up if you added a house plant or a framing hammer. I can't believe one of these two yahoos actually worked for me. This is above the fold and over seven years below my expectations, Jeff. Welcome everyone to Above the Fold. Um, after uh, one episode of Jeff and I kind of going hog wild in terms of uh, just having no guests, we have brought it back to normalcy, bringing on someone someone else to talk to us, mainly to keep us in line. So I want to welcome uh, David Lemney, uh, President and Co-Founder of um, Retail Voodoo. Uh, David, welcome and thank you for coming on to Above the Fold. Francis, thanks for having me. Jeff, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here and looking forward to see how this conversation unfolds. No, I got to thank you. And our team actually has to thank you because we need some guardrails. We had guests, you don't understand, we had guests like seven in a row. And then we just went way off the rails. We had like uh, all this pent up energy. Francis and I got on. We talked about Terminator. We talked about Mad Max for five. We had to edit five minutes of Mad Max banter out. So this is, this is, I don't, a regret, it. I don't regret it. I understand why I it happened. Either. I don't regret it. I don't either, but you know, we forget that we have an audience sometimes. So it's good to get the guardrails back on. So thanks for, uh, <laughs> bringing us back to center, straighten us out a little bit there, David. My pleasure. I will try to avoid Mad Max, although no guarantees. <laughs> uh, so David, tell us a, a quick intro for our audience, who you are, what Retail Voodoo is. Um, uh, give them a, you know, your, your elevator pitch about who you are. Sure. Thank you. So m- my name is David Lemley and I uh, run a place called Retail Voodoo, which is an agency that specializes in better for you consumers. We really have honed in on that space where it's the intersection of food, beverage, wellness, and fitness, and sustainability, and conscious consumerism, and all of that sort of stuff. And we have, over the last eight years in particular, developed a pretty significant knowledge estate in that area and have helped a lot of companies grow brands, invent brands, and create product lines that are uh, really taking off. So it sounds like it's a specific type of niche. Um you mentioned health and wellness type foods. So are we talking, what, what kind of things are we talking about that you specialize in marketing? Everything from crazy stuff like nootropics, where it helps your brain be enhanced to organic Cheetos. So, and everything in between, or it might be fitness gear that is designed to help you optimize your heart rate or help you get more out of your workout, or it might be camping gear so that you can be um, more balanced and get outside. So it's all of those sorts of things around that kind of lifestyle, if you will. Explain to me what a nootropic is. That sounds like something (laughs) Francis could use. Yeah. Well, it's a one-way street, just so you know. No, nootropics (laughs) are um, basically vitamins and minerals and enzymes that occur in food. And when you take a certain nootropic, you get more brain fuel out of the food you eat. So um, there there are things like, for example, you may have heard like B vitamins are really good for your brain. And um, particularly for men, it's an important thing to have in your diet or your brain will start to... um, you start start to age at some point. And so you, if you take a lot of B vitamins, it helps with sleep, it helps with stress, it helps your brain to recover. So that, that part of it, that there's another thing when you add L-theanine, which is an enzyme that allows you to get more out of everything that you're eating so that any of the coq or any of the um, trace minerals or whatnot that are in the food, you will they will become bioavailable to you. So you get more nutrition out of what you eat. I'm geeking out bad. I realize that. So Mad Max, um, Tina Turner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tina Turner one. That was great. That was the, that was the Thunderdome. Solid was so I knew we were going to fit right in on this podcast. <laughs> oh, but that's amazing. I mean, I, I think it's very clear. I mean, I knew this already, but I was probably eating the wrong foods for my brain. You know, too many tacos, or maybe in, in many ways, not enough of the right taco. Um, but the you uh, but that's really, tacos. I do. Yeah. Yeah, I Tell your clients I that, David. 
Yeah, if we can just figure that out, like that's a thing. We're <laughs> yeah. always working, you know, I have a, an innovation team here and a, a lot of our clients ask us to help figure out what is, we want to future-proof our brand or we want to create products that'll be meaningful to people in five years. And so we're always kind of in that space. So Nootropic Tacos, I'm going to throw it in into the pool and see what we can. There you go. Wait, I can't wait. I'm going to wait for my, uh, my, what do you call it? Founders fee, whatever you want to call it. There you, there um, you go. You get, you'll get a royalty, right? I know I'm derailing pretty. No, go ahead. I know I'm derailing slightly here, but this really does fascinate me. Are these things safe? I mean, I, it seems like anything that you take for your brain that makes you smarter and sharper for a short period of time, like what happens afterwards? Yeah, this is different than speed or any oh, of those sorts of things. <laughs> so, I've been rewatching Breaking. I've been rewatching Breaking Bad, so I'm like, yeah. I'm kind of dialed into that. Sorry to hear that, but yeah, I know. So what precursor are you using? The the concept of this whole nootropics and brain health and and um, getting the most out of your energy is really not a new concept, but it's been gotten, I guess, revitalized. It's It kind of falls under this thing of biohacking. Are you guys familiar with this term or this yeah. concept? Um, uh-huh. maybe, I've, I've eaten the right foods, Jeff. I, I have heard of biohacking. Maybe you have. <laughs> oh, God. Just stop. Go on, David. <laughs> So it's that biohacking is really using systems thinking or even design thinking, if you will, systems thinking to upgrade your mind, body, and life. And mm-hmm. so the basic 101 of biohacking is um, drink enough water, get enough exercise, and sleep, and you're going to be a better version of yourself or a more optimized version. And so it goes all the way from that simple to if you get into like Dave Asprey and his his cohort who have a brand called Bulletproof, uh, and they have a biohackers conference. There are people there trying to do like retina replacements, and um, they'll take. Um, these nootropic injections and it's it's a whole thing versus just taking a dietary supplement so it the whole the rabbit hole goes very deep into it but at its most base level the things that you can buy over the counter are not going to fry any of your circuits they're all um, they're all naturally occurring and intended to make you get Mm. the, the most absorption of your vitamins and minerals and to give your body what it needs if there's any outages. So you say Bulletproof, is that in Bulletproof Coffee? Same company? Yeah, exactly. So uh, Bulletproof Coffee, yeah. okay. that, that is um, Biohacker Breakfast. Biohacker Breakfast. It sounds like a Tim Ferriss, <laughs> it sounds like a Tim, Tim Ferriss thing. Yeah, yeah, it actually, it, it, there you go. It all connects there. It, everything um, intersects at Tim Ferriss, doesn't it? Seems to, seems to. I, I, that'll send me down a deep, a, another dark path. I don't want to go there. Okay, so, so you're working with these brands and you're working on uh, marketing, nootropics. What exactly are you doing for these brands to help market their products? You're specifically working in retail and food and beverage, right? <laughs> Yeah. So we work in a space where we have this belief system that your brand matters first and foremost. It's you can make amazing products, but if you, if there's not a, a reason to be underneath there or a why that you exist as an organization beyond making a profit or a product, then there's no there there. And you are subject to the whims of the market, the whims of consumer preference and price sensitivity. So if you can start with why we exist, what kind of legacy are we leaving and who do we want to be, that will set up a foundation which will build a mind, body, and soul for your brand. And from there, marketing becomes much easier, much more systematic. And that leads to the notion of storytelling, you know? I have to imagine that, um, I mean, it sounds easy, hearing hearing from you, David, but for some, for a company, for, for an organization to figure out the why, I have to imagine that's got to be a big, uh, a big complicated ask. Um, Because a lot of people may start with the what and the how, and maybe even forget about the why for the first couple of years. Yeah, that is really common. And you just uh, perfectly, Francis, recited Simon Sinek's entire Start With Why book in one 
um, flow chart that's in my brain right now based on <laughs> the cadence of your voice. So awesome job. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so why is one of those things that gets skipped over unless you are a purpose-driven focused brand to begin with. Like if you started with why and then figured out what and how, mm. think of, you know, so, some of the brands that come to mind, like REI, for example, as a brand is, has always been about stewardship of the outdoors and love of the outdoors. And that if you spend time outdoors, you are a more well-rounded person you can be happier and so that's really their why and then their what is okay we're gonna buy gear and help you optimize it so that we are gonna outfit you for your adventure in life however you define that so that's does that make sense to you absolutely um so what happens what happens when there are conflicting whys within an organization meaning that for whatever reason, they're very two strong personalities where they both have a different idea of what that why should be. Thus, no one can get a, can agree on the why. Yeah. So, do are we going to do like a session together? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, the the conflicting whys is really common. Actually, if you think about brand, you think about the world we live in, and Everything that is not a gigantic multinational, there's some sort of passion driving that brand. So passion is personal and often individualized. So it really comes down to being able to identify the, the real bigger why. And if, if you have interpersonal conflict around that, you yeah. need, need somebody externally to help facilitate that conversation to get to um, not so that it's a, a boxing match, but that it's, it's an alignment process so that the brand starts to become something bigger than the individuals. I have to imagine that's a really difficult place to get to. And it's usually the other way around because I would argue that 99% of companies are started with product first, right? Like I got an idea, here's a product that I'm going to create. It's a, it's a pillow that's strapped to your head so you can fall over and sleep anytime you want, right? And then after that, you, you come up with the why afterwards. So it's almost like when you're coming to creating a brand story, you're kind of, you're having to reverse engineer it because you can't really create a company on an idea without a product or can you? I think you, you can, but it's, again, if there isn't some deep value proposition that gets beyond features and benefits, you are going to be competing on price because let's say you have a pillow that straps to your head so you can fall over and take a nap anywhere you want to. And if it's any good at all, I assure you, Walmart will knock it off. <laughs> so, and they will sell it for a dollar and 83 cents less than you, which is all the margin you have in that pillow. Yeah. So you are now screwed and your best bet is to become their supplier. So, but if you have brand and you have a reason to say, no, it's worth a buck 83 more because it could be anything from our causes. We help make sure there are free range chickens so that we can stuff the feathers inside the pillow. Or it could be something like, we're going to make sure that every kid who flies on a plane gets a pillow free if you, the adults, buy pillows. Mm, okay. So I'm totally making stuff up. You get the ideas. So what if we're in this situation, I've got product pillow head 9,000 and I've got no narrative. I've got no brand story, but it's selling and it hasn't been ripped off yet by Walmart. We have no idea how to present ourselves from a storytelling standpoint. What's the first exercise you do with that brand to start to discover what that might be? Yeah. So this is the first thing we do is conduct an internal key stakeholder blind survey so that we can get a true lay of the land of everybody who has some sort of impact on this brand, whether they're the sales team or they're running the money behind it, or they are the operations people, or they're the C-suite or the marketers. All of those people take a survey that we author to them in order to extract what the origin story is, what is BS, what is authentic and real, and what they understand about their consumers and what they're using the products for. And from that, we then form a baseline of what kind of research do we need to do in order to make a connection between humans, customers to be, or consumers to be, if you will, and this 
rough skeletal system of a narrative that came from all of these blind surveys. Mm. And how can we do that without any BS? How can we make it hyperbole free? How can we not set off people's BS meters and really play authentically? I see what you're saying. And it's, it's not an easy task that the people in the organization need to want to do it. Yeah. And I see what you're saying, but I foresee an issue right off the bat and it's with hippos. But not the animal, but it's uh, a phrase coined by Avinash Kashik as a web analytics guy. Hippos would be the highest paid person in the room. That's a hippo opinion. And usually it's a really bad opinion, <laughs> right? So if you're sitting in a room and you've got a hippo in the room and you come up with a good idea and the hippo is an idiot, but he's got the most money and he has the strongest opinion and he has the most uh, forceful opinion on everybody in the room then it gets screwed over. Uh, good examples. I worked for a company previously who uh, had a tech guy who usurped the CEO position, who then declared himself a CEO and the CTO and that every, every other chief, he was like four chiefs and one. And he really thought his opinion was, was God and there was no other opinion. Um, but they were all terrible. So what do you do in that situation when, they're, when you've got the hippo in the room that really thinks their idea is great but they really don't know anything about marketing and you do. Yeah. I think I've met that guy. Just so you know. <laughs> uh, so this is exactly why we have constructed our process the way we have. You're right. Highest paid, biggest mouth, yeah. most person who can um, destroy the career paths of the people in the yeah. room. So th if you have a person like that, who has not got deep emotional intelligence and is not self-aware and is not going to think of what's best for the collective and what's best for the brand and they're not a marketing expert, then you, you need an outsider. And then what we do is that's why we do a blind survey is we, we take all of the opinions and all of the statistics and we present it back as data and say, look, Mr. Hippo or Ms. Hippo or Hippopotami, here's the data. This is what's going on in your organization. This is what's going on at the point of sale in your brand or in your product offering. And this is what people who are not you, who we want to have join your tribe, need from you but are not getting. And what we found is that unless they are Freak Show Hippo with a capital F, they will listen. And it also helps that you're in a position where they came to you, right? So it's not like you're... Right? Yeah, it does help. Right. So they are soliciting your opinion. Yeah. And we've done this over 300 times. Yeah. And during the business development conversations, we will explain that over the time, only three times has it not worked. <laughs> and it was always because... As, uh, an executive had an idea that didn't jive and they would not take the coaching that came out of the process. Yeah. And so in each of those three cases, we parted ways with them before we got to the end of strategy. That's a pretty good hit rate. You're at uh, three out of 300. What Did you have any uh, horror stories from it? Did anybody, come, any of the hippos come up with horrible ideas that are worth a story? <laughs> Well, the, the most, uh, so I can't, uh, this is where you remember we talked about like, don't name anything, right? Okay, so I'm, I'm on my toes now, except I have to tell you, like the, the most common thing I, I have heard from this hippo camp is um, such profound Me Too-ism where they say, you know, I have an idea. Like, what if we made computers and we had a piece of fruit on it, but instead of it being an apple, it's a pear, you know, that, oh. that they're so close that they're thinking that uh, a Me Too-like alternative is going to move the needle or going to incite people beyond something other than bargain. Wow. That's, <laughs> I mean, I know you're on your toes, so we should probably just let it be. But that's <laughs> surprising and not surprising at the same time. Kind of sad, I guess, all, 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 all in one. Um but it's interesting because as you were as you were going through that in my mind, I was thinking at some point they're going to walk away because even if the hippo or whoever is kind of putting up the wall and saying no, this is all right, it, it, you know, you're you're just going to walk out the room with the idea or with the data, um, and they're just going to be left kind of where they are, but you know, obviously a little bit poorer because they just asked for help and then didn't take it. Um, what is also interesting to me though is that the fact that you display it back in data form, which Jeff is always about 
putting something in a spreadsheet or, you know, a chart or whatever, because data doesn't lie and it's a lot more stronger. Um, what I, what I find interesting though, is that it's almost like a combination of both emotional sort of elements and data. Cause it's one thing to kind of talk about, you know, who are you as a company and so on. And then here are some charts to kind of back up that idea, that emotional sort of like foundation that we can build up this brand with in many ways, it's a combination of both the emotional element and data kind of all wrapped up in one. Yeah, I totally agree that data is really amazing and powerful. And I have um, become completely addicted to it over the last decade, I confess. However, I also am not above and talk openly with our clients about bending data so that it touches an emotional point, so that it becomes something that we can pivot off of rather than a statistic that is interesting but not relevant. And so it's it comes down to they got to know that you care and there needs to be some sort of emotional connectivity or the data is just what you know. The um, Going back to the idea of figuring out who you are as a brand um, and everything like that, how, let's pretend, let's take, you know, hippos out of it, internal politics out of it. Let's just, you know, start from scratch. It's, you know, maybe Pillowhead 3000 or 9000, whatever Jeff said. 3000, um, I think it was 3000. Figuring out who you are as a brand, how, how scary is that? How, for a, for a brand to be able to do that from the onset, um, I mean, what, how are they hesitant? What do they have to figure out? Um, in many ways, it's, it can be like an identity crisis of, you know, who are we, who do we want to be outside these walls? Um, do they express a lot of hesitation toward that? It, well, it depends on if they have had success and they now are losing relevance in a specific mm. market. So I think that that plays a big, big role. I think that people who come in who are what I will call um, significantly charismatic salespeople who can, yeah, you know, basically get you excited to buy anything. <laughs> they are also hesitant to kind of get into the emotional gushy stuff or get into the, the intangible, well, what's the price point? What's the MSRP? How am I going to do this? How many do I need to move? What's our velocity? Like getting into all of that sort of thing. And What's interesting is when we get into a room, there's typically, you know, depending upon the size of the organization, between eight and 25 or so executives in a room. And usually what happens is the sales team and anybody who's, who has um, been dragged in come into these first meetings with their arms folded over and they're sitting back in their chair and they're looking at us like what do you know? And it's so fun because um, we tell people, um, particularly in the C-suite, what to expect, which is that at about hour two of this download of all this information that we've uncovered, the sales team is going to lean forward in, in their chairs, uncross mm. their arms and start interacting and start trying to take what we are uncovering in the room and turn it into a sales presentation on the fly. And that's how we know that they're engaged. So how do we do that? And, and how do you get it so that it becomes not scary for an organization, which was, I think, your original question, yeah. is it, it focuses on mission. Like if you know what your mission is, which is why you exist as an organization or as a brand or as a person, if you know your mission, then it defines your actions. So think of it like this. The best mission statements in the world are a goal that's an action that avoid sentiment, that focus on changing lives. And they, um, they are not about selling stuff, but it is still specific and measurable. So those are the key things of a mission. And when you, we, when you know that and, you, and you're able to get your mission statement to not be a huge corporate analogy, anything you put on the wall or mm. you have in the binder just so you can check the box and say you did it. If it's a one sentence thing that everybody in your organization from uh, a fifth grader on up to whomever can understand who they are and how that mission works, that's when you know you've got something. And so the, you know, the great ones are, my, my personal favorite mission statement of all time is uh, NASA's, which was a man on the moon by 1969. So if you think about that and go, okay, is that, uh, does it change lives? Can we measure it? Is it specific and quantifiable? Is it a goal that's in action? 
And uh, you start to say, yeah, it does all of those things. And the coolest thing about why I like that is, um, are you familiar with that mission or any stories? No, I'm mission? not. I'm not. This is all new. This is all new. Yeah. So it was, it, you got to go back to the 60s. So it's Mad Men era and all of that. But mm-hmm. um, it's basically, uh, it was Walter Cronkite, who was a CBS evening news anchor, was doing a feature story on John F. Kennedy, who was, of course, touring NASA because that was a big freaking deal at the time. And they were on they they were on the floor in one of the buildings in NASA and somebody was sweeping up. There was a janitor sweeping up to make room for the president to walk through. And he was so enthusiastic about it that he, the president at the time walked over and he said, young man, um, what are you doing? And the man turned to JFK and said, I'm helping put a man on the moon. <laughs> And that is when you have a mission that is the center of your brand and that makes it not scary. And everybody knows how to do their job. That has got to be so like, even as a, as a creative, when that's something, when something like that happens, it's got to be so invigorating because then suddenly, and I know you referenced this in the email, but the possibilities are endless. Like if, if it's something that strong and it's running through the organization that well, literally any idea can work with enough creative force behind it and so on. Um, and there's such just so many options. I would, I would, uh, that's just, that feels amazing. I feel like that would be amazing. Yeah. It's the, it's the, the magic underneath it all. It, it can be any type of organization. It, it empowers the people. And really, when you think about a brand, you think about an organization and all the stuff I'm talking about, it comes down to humans. And if the humans are jacked and they know what to do, and they um, are empowered, then you can change the world. So David, prior to um, us hitting record, um, we were just catching up and you had mentioned um, you have a book coming out in September. Talk about this book. What is this? What what can we expect? And um, and so on. It's called Beyond Thunderdome. Really, it's called Beloved and Dominant, and okay. it's this, the subtitle is The Brand Ecosystem That Drives Better For You Brands From One of Many to Category Prominence. Mm. And so it's very provocative. And basically what this means is that we've figured out um, this basically taking the notion of the seven key areas of marketing that are essential to deliver upon in order to grow and build a brand that people prefer. And it's all based on like that. That's the part that consumers see and people see and marketers see that's sort of above the waterline on the iceberg, if you will. Yeah. But all the stuff we've been talking about thus far is really like this, the mind and the body and the soul and the mission and all of the purpose and all of that deeper meaning stuff, that's really the stuff that's below the waterline that makes the marketing tactics work above the line. So the book is focused with the stuff under the iceberg, right? Is that what you're getting at? Like basically like... So the first book, so there are actually going to be two books. The next one will come out next year and it's about below the waterline. But this first book focuses on above the waterline and then keeps referencing how your, the brand strategy checklist driving the mind, body, and soul of your brand needs to be in place in order for your, for example, customer education or your advertising mm. or in-store experience to fire on all cylinders. Mm. You know, we were talking a little bit about this part in the last segment and how we have the the hippo issue and how they don't see this. It's almost like they see marketing as a, a, like a qualitative thing. I can do marketing. I know what looks good, right? But it, you're describing a system that's, that's actually based in good education. It's based on uh, best practices and stuff like that, right? Is it basically, is that what you're getting to? Yeah, it is. It's trying to take some of the subjectivity of everyone's a tastemaker. Everybody can right. decide and tell us whether they like that shade of blue. It's not so much about that as it is about connecting your why and your, the, or the reason you exist outside of making a profit and who your tribe is, mm. connecting that to marketing tactics that are going to resonate for them, your yeah. tribe more so than for you sitting in the, the boardroom. That's interesting. Can you give us an example of 
a client that you worked with. Yeah, I mean, obviously you don't have to name names, but a situation where they came to you like, I don't know who I am. And you ran them through everything that you talked about and what that ended up looking like. Sure. So there's an apocalypse in Australia and there's an Australia. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> and, uh, that's we so weird. That you water. would say that. <laughs> right. Cars so everywhere. Um, we, we recently worked with a, a brand in Australia and it was super interesting because one of the key things, I'm not answering your question. I'm telling you a slightly different story. But one of the key <laughs> things is that um, the world does end in Australia, according to every uh doomsday sayer and every uh, scientific report. So that's where all the people will be. And to the point that even like uh, popular television, like HBO's um, The Leftovers ended mm. in Australia, you know? Um, yep. Anyway, uh, that, that terrifies play, me. That's where they put all the animals <laughs> that want to eat you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, it's, um, yeah, survival of the fittest, I guess. <laughs> Better get those nootropics, right? So that you're able to think faster than every other crawly thing. Yeah. You <laughs> want to be on point that they, they literally just sit down there and make animals that want to kill you. It's like a, it's like a lab. It's like a, a human experiment where they just make animals that want to kill you. I know. Super freaky. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but back to the idea of a brand that we have walked through this process who maybe struggled to understand who they were. So what I would say is that that story is more common than not, where they come in and say, we think we're this, we think this, but it's time to evolve. And I guess the one that comes to mind to me that I'm thinking is newish and relevant is there's a company called Essentia Water. Have you guys seen or heard of Essentia? Essentia? How do you spell? I'm going to look it up right now. It's A-S-S-E-N-T. Bear with me. I'm an idiot. Essentia? It's E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A. Ah, got it. And, okay. and so it's a water brand and they basically are... Oh, I've seen this. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's their alkaline water. And again, what does alkaline water do? It's got a whole better for you vibe. It helps you absorb hydration or help absorb water at the cellular level because they make the water harder, which makes it do some things for your body, which neutralizes your your um, the acid in your body. So like if you're... For example, like me, a caffeine addict who loves coffee, drinking alkaline water is really good because it neutralizes all that acid that coffee produces. So anyway, they, they came to us and thought, um, having done some research, they, they thought that they were a water brand for um, Venice Beach goers. Mm. And, What's a Venice Beach goer? Um, you have to bear much, man. I'm not cool. I, I'm, I'm trying to be to be um, politically correct. So basically, they thought they, but, but screw that, right? Okay. So <laughs> they thought they had a water for um, Caucasian blonde, highway proportional, um, Southern Californians living near the coast, wearing white lycra, doing yoga in the sand. Got it. I can picture that as you, but yeah, that's in thing. <laughs> so that's what I meant when I said Venice Beach. Okay. Um, <laughs> Got it. Got it. Uh, but, the, and they had some data to back that up, but what we were able to find is that that, that person couldn't buy any more water. They were already in it and they had themselves competing with smart water and Jennifer mm -hmm. Aniston, who ironically lives in that neighborhood and is about highway proportional, wears white lycra and does yoga in the sand. So um, they couldn't win that particular battle. So we were able to help them by talking to their founder and getting his origin story and understanding what he stood for and why he made it, which were was for health reasons and to have something to do with, it doesn't matter where you start, let's all help each other get along and we'll all get further than we could together. And then if we were by ourselves, that's kind of his MO. And so we took that. And then we also found that there were some key data points around people who want a function in their water are completely different than the smart water mm. user. Mm. And we found them to be ethnically diverse, way younger and way more um, middle market than you would ever think. And so... Um, specifically we found like in places like Texas where it's hotter than heck all the time, um, water, bottled water is a thing and, um, water, premium water that's clean, that does something besides just quench your thirst is preferred 
because you need to drink so much of it, especially if you go outside. So it, it ended, ended up changing their audience to be or their customer to be. It ended up giving us permission to tell the story about the founder in a way that was true with no pretense at all. And it ended up connecting with uh, an entire world. And that this brand is um, experiencing triple digit growth again. Now they've completed two years since this brand is done. They've, they've, uh, they're just kind of kicking butt and Droga five has just started doing television for them, which started during the NBA playoffs this year in May, June, Mayish, Juneish. Anyway, it was super cool because it's, exactly out of the brand Bible down to the manifesto we wrote and how to connect it to young people and to the founder and tell the story. And so they are the future of water, which is a big, huge thing. But it's it's um, really powerful because the future of water is water should not only hydrate you, but we should protect it. We should make a way for everybody to get their hands on it. And this all ties back to, you know, if, if you can decommoditize bottled water and turn it into a brand without having $100 million a year to spend behind it, you've got something. And so we were able to do that with Essentia by taking this process I'm talking about with you and going through it step by step and moving from, come on, man, water's water to something where people are now joining the Ascension Nation and bragging about it and to the point that they now have a foundation that is all about empowering tomorrow's youth. I'm feeling emotional. Like, I, I, <laughs> I don't know if I get yeah. emotional or what. They actually <laughs> painted a really good story about this brand uh, in a way that, I, think, I mean, I think water's water, whatever. Right. And I can totally picture that you're, you're initially targeting this affluent, um, like mind body focused people taking Instagram pictures of themselves doing yoga poses on the beach, like uh, for lack of better word, vapid community. And then you've kind of like switched it to like the everyday, the everyday Joe, right. That's just looking for something out of their water. That's, uh, you know, a little bit more sustainable on their body little bit healthier for them um and totally not that crowd yeah it's like taking everybody the, the every man if you will the citizen of the world and get, finding them in their personal journey at a point where they want to go do something whether it's um make it through the day or write the next rock song or make the football team or get across town on a bus that requires seven transfers, whatever it is, whatever they're going to do, whatever their deal, being hydrated and having pH balance is going to help them do that better or help them be stronger at that. And that's really the simplicity of the story. And it resonates pretty much regardless so of who you are. So you sold the story and I buy it. I'm already in. What's the first thing that you guys needed to do? What did you tell their team about getting this out there? Start writing content, start throwing up commercials. What did that look like? Executing. Well, we, the first thing we did before we even did any packaging changes or any website changes is we started making an invitation to the world over social media to join the Ascension Nation. And what happened was, so we used, um, Instagram visuals and um, simple short lines. And we basically just declared, we're here to put a flag in the ground to tell you that a better you starts with a better water. Let's go. Wow. And people freaked out before there was anything, any of the marketing had caught up to it. There was already an Ascension Nation who were asking to be Sounds invited. kind of like the beginning of Fire Festival. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> is the water exist? Wow. Sorry, I'm sorry. Wow. I'm really good on gas. <laughs> well, I know the water doesn't exist. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but no, what I was going to say is that just just that idea. I mean, cuts right to that heart of the uh, of that generator, that younger generation. I mean, part of what you were when you're going through that story, it was also kind of like a metaphor for like how the generations have kind of changed towards advertising. You know, you have the older sort of like, it's only for this one niche and it's, you know, the beach and let's put everyone in that, in that ad with smiles and great bodies. And they're going to be happy to like almost the cause marketing and the purposeful marketing that the younger generation really enjoys and wants to hear more about. Um, just what you said in terms of just putting that out on the social um, uh, channels and call, yeah, call to action of like joining, you know, this army, um, 
I could see it. I could see how immediately it's like, oh, this is something different. And it, there's, there's some sort of story behind this. Let's run to that as fast as possible. Um, and the good thing is you backed it up with, with, with the story. Yes, we had story. We had um, actually the team at Essentia, so their um, their CMO, Karen Abrahamson, is smart AF, so (laughs) she knew what to do. So she had out of home planned in three markets um, where they we identified that this you know products like this would move, and so we had the opportunity to to press the gas, if you will, and get a lot of awareness and make sure that distribution was there so that the product was available. And so there was a there there. Um, So it was um, really amazing to see how that, that younger generation lit on it and how, how explaining it to them made other generations, other cohorts like Gen X is all over this brand. And uh, that happened because we, brought it down to a level that a younger millennial could connect to. What about internal buy-in? I mean, cause we, we, we ran through the whole story. It, it makes sense. You got Jeff ready, you know, to buy more water, maybe even stock at this point, who knows. Um, but what about when, when that moment happened, when you guys figured this out and you spoke to the founder and so on, how long did it take internal buy-in? to kind of, to kind of accept this, like, this is the new us, this is the new story of this, of this company and we're, we're all in. So the, this is part of the magic of, um, what we get to do over here is it took one four hour meeting of all the key stakeholders with the data and the vision and a four hour long argument that ended with heck yeah, let's go. <laughs> give this to the world. So when you have all the right people in the room and you have all the right information and you have the vision, you can That's get exciting. Some stuff I didn't even know. I mean, this is the thing that got me into marketing. The idea of sitting around a room, coming up with a brand storyline. I mean, it's the stuff that you see on TV, right? It's like the Mad Men stuff. And I didn't even realize this still existed. I thought it was just all us poor schmucks creating content and doing SEO all the time. Yeah, well, there's there's part it's both, but it's not Mad Men like in that. So on Mad Men, um, which is so weird that you bring up because that's my current secret binge watch. Um, uh, so I'm in like season seven going, oh my gosh. Um, but there, there's not as much smoking, drinking and sleeping around um, by a lot. And the epiphanies don't sort of happen where like three people are in a room and they do something. But you there's a lot of work. So to get to that four hour meeting, my team probably had half a dozen to maybe eight, 10 people spend 80 yeah. hours getting oh, ready for that four hour meeting. Wow. To having every piece of data and every possible variant that could happen at the ready so that we could have that kind of a powerful conversation and say, and not have um, the idea in that situation is to be able to go into the meeting fluid, but also have the client not ask a question that we haven't thought of already. So they could ask us something and we could go something somewhere different, but that we want to do the homework. So if they could ask us any of these hundred questions, what's the non BS, truly data driven, truly market driven answer so that I can look them in the eye and say, your future on this. So from that point, once you get sign off, are you working to create anything with them? Or is this like, here's your vision, here's kind of a roadmap and get at it? No, so I I have a team and we do all of the all of the creative translation from strategy into first touch. So in the case of Essentia, the they had this E plus on their bottle that looked a lot like medicine. So we wanted to turn that into a badge brand that felt much more youthful. It could be identified from 30 feet away. So we good old fashioned graphic design 101 built that sucker out and then touched every aspect of their packaging, their in-store presentation, what their sales team would say, their web, their social channels, their when's the party in the front and when's the business in the back or the vice versa. It depends on what mullet you've got, but you get what I mean? So we touched. Yeah. By, just by chance, is, I was looking at pictures of Billy Ray Cyrus on Sunday. Don't ask why. It was, I was, well, just by chance, that doesn't happen. Just just by chance. We were talking about mullets, but naturally that's the first thing that came up. Icky breaking heart. <laughs> I don't know how we got here. I, I feel like that was a big share and I don't know how we got here. Now I'm scared. Get me out. 
about. Oh, oh, okay. I'm looking up pictures. I'm getting better. I'm looking up pictures of the essential water bottle. It's the the three lines, three red lines with a plus. That's it. Or is that the? That's it. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Kind of like a battery. That's it. Yeah. yeah it's kind gotcha. of like a, a super bold flag. Cool. Okay. So there's this new logo. So something that would be universal, the idea that eventually there won't need to be any words. It'll just be this symbol comes to mean this is hydrating water <clears throat> or right. um, alkaline hi- hydrating water. The other cool thing I didn't tell you about this brand is they had conducted a um, an independent or hired an independent party to conduct a study that actually proved that this water truly is twice as hydrating as all other bottled waters based on their their science. And so instead of going, yeah, you guys should do a $87 million advertising campaign, mm-hmm. we said, no, you should spend the money to publish that study. Yeah. And so that study gives third-party validation to what scientifically is different about their product. And so that took care of a lot. And then we translated that study into something a fifth grader would understand so that it didn't have to be super science-y. And totally for Jeff. Anyway. The the thing that I, uh, that my team did that I think kind of created the, the magic behind this brand and all of the design and, uh, creative marketing translation is we we came up with a new tagline for them and we just called it overachieving h2o which is both about the product and about people who self-identify that they want more and they want to they want to go and make their mark on the world and that could be whether you're 12 or 50 or whatever it really resonates with people and so that that haiku of your brand that tagline really set up what what all of the other marketing tools would be going over that tagline over in my mind. Um, it is strong. I mean, I, I can already in a weird way, I'm already thirsty. I don't have water in front of me. I kind of want water right now. And if I have more overachieving water, I think I feel better about myself. <laughs> you're going to go, on a exactly. Tuesday, you're gonna go home and you're cram eight tacos in your face. <laughs> yeah. I don't want anybody. You're going to watch the trailer four times in a row. <laughs> oh, it's so true. But that's exactly what it, I mean. That's it's it's sticky. It's it's so engaging. Um, and honestly, it was really cool to hear that story just about the background and how it was kind of like where it started, how it kind of like got shifted and where and where it's going now. And kind of back to your point, when you know your brand and you know who you are or maybe you've, you know, re-envisioned who you are, um, everything else kind of, that's where the magic happens. Everything else kind of takes care of itself. I mean, there's so many different possibilities with overachieving water now that even for me, as someone who just figured, just heard it, I'm already thinking about stuff that, that could work. And it's, it's, it's amazing. And it's a very, it's a stark contrast to the, to the Venice beach crowd that you opened up with. Yeah. Well, so that whole idea of really understanding who you are and why you exist and getting your team enrolled in it, then marketing goes from strange and weird and hard to (laughs) natural and extensive, I mean, or an extension of um, your core story. It it becomes um, every little bit, it's a nonlinear story. You know, you're, you're telling the story in little bits all over the place and it all harkens back to that core system and, and there's magic in there. So when do you cut bait? When do you, and I, I asked this funny enough because there's an issue where I'm working at right now where we're trying to figure out what this other thing is. I won't go into it cause I probably shouldn't, but the idea that maybe someone what we keep trying to figure out what this thing is or how it should be marketed and so on. But every time it gets brought up, there's a big circular conversation. And what it feels like is that it's no one really knows. So like, have you, have you gone there, out? We have actually. Yeah. And part of the problem is we have research that's being conducted. It just hasn't completed yet. But at the same time, we're moving forward on certain things. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I think that if the research isn't completed, the things you're moving forward on, unfortunately, uh, what I would say is your team is using gut instinct, which yeah. is one piece of Oops. the equation, but gut instinct post-research or gut instinct post-data distillation is, it's, 
it's in the sweet spot. That's when you have the crosshairs versus gut instinct without that is you're still kind of doing praying. Nice spray. job, Francis. Mm. How long have you been doing yeah, this, Yeah, you nailed it, man. Jesus. That's exactly what it feels like right now. Um, what are you throwing chicken bones up in the air? It's like, <laughs> and the signs tell me. What, what? Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I just oh, I learn from you. I learn from you. So, and I just let's, I uh, put it forward. <laughs> I think it's a, a pretty good segue here. So, uh, David, where can we, uh, when can we find your book and uh, where are we going to be able to find it? So the Beloved and Dominant book is going to be available in September and it will be through Amazon. So look there. You can also go to our website as of September 1st and there will be a special page dedicated to the book. If you go there today, um, you, there will be nothing, of course, but um, that will be the primary places to get it. Very cool. Did you sell, are you self-publishing on Amazon? Yeah, we are. So it's so interesting. So uh, trying to be, um, again, I have uh, business coaches and business development people helping me and everybody's going, dude, write a book, write a book, write a book. And I've been hearing that for about 15 years and I uh, kept saying, uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. And got so disciplined about content marketing for the agency that the book just sort of came this year and we put it together and then I went out to my cohort of people and of course I know a bunch of like super smart authors and I said well what do I need to do what do I got to do that can you introduce me can you help me make sure my pitch doesn't suck all of those sorts of things and we went through the entire discipline of that and then um, the last person we talked to said, well, I could introduce you to this very highfalutin press. And I said, oh yeah, let's do that. Mm -hmm. And as he explained it to me, he said, well, they're really stuck in the 19th century when it comes to publishing because the publishing industry is still stuck there. And it used to be that only hacks self-published who couldn't get a publisher, but Amazon has, just like every other business model, disrupted that. So you have real authors with real content and with unique ideas publishing through Amazon fast. And for us, that was one of the things is we want this book in the market in this lifetime as, as written. And so that was really kind of the impetus for choosing to self-publish. Mm. <laughs> but coming to that, I, I relied upon everyone I knew to, to input on it before I, felt confident that that was a thing and by the time we did you know 20 some odd phone calls and interviews about it with all these experts it sort of wrote itself self-published house thursday thursday's good <laughs> well congratulations man that's awesome that, that really is a huge achievement thank you i was just gonna say um i've had friends kind of go down that same route of like you know choosing between is it a publishing house is it self-publishing and they um they have never regretted the self-publishing route the uh the, you know the creative control and everything that comes with it um and the fact that you know people buy books in many different ways these yeah, days than they ever did i'm before. really excited um, i love to uh, there was a lot have of a really story. awesome story to tell you in the future about how great it was uh, on this side of the jump i'm like i'm super optimistic and since i have never done it i'm <laughs> There's a little anxiety, a little butterfly, you know, so it's, it's a well, fun place to We should reconnect at some point in uh, September or October and check in and see how it went. Yeah, I'd love that. It, and, it and Jeff, you can ask more selfish. questions because you want to self-publish a book Absolutely. yourself. And I'm sure that's part of the motivation. Yeah. Ha happy to share whatever it is that we learned. <laughs> uh, uh, David, thank you so much for taking the time. We'll stay in touch and hopefully have, on, have you on soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. It was a really fun conversation. Thanks a lot, David. Appreciate it. See you, everybody.